This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Acts chapter 3, and we will begin our reading in verse number 1. When you come to the book of Acts, you come to a transitional book in the Bible. It's very important for us to remember that. Uh, The church does not begin in the book of Acts because the church began with Christ and His disciples. It was empowered at Pentecost, but Jesus uh, began the church. And He gave commandments for the church. But in the book of Acts, it's a historical record of the early days of the church. Something else that's very important for us to never, ever forget, the book of Acts has no conclusion. And the reason it has no conclusion is because we are living in the book of Acts. We are to continue the work of Jesus Christ as His disciples did, the apostles' doctrine and breaking of bread and in prayers, as Scripture commands us. And so it's a very interesting book. The book of Acts is a book of action. Therefore, it gets the name of the book of Acts, right? Lots of things happening in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 3 and verse number 1, we come to a very compelling story. I'd like you to read it with me if you would. Verse number 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man lay, lame rather, from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that, which had happened unto him. It's an amazing story, amazing narrative that is recorded for us in the words of Scripture. Here's a man lame from his mother's womb who was carried every day, the Bible says. And if you're going to be a beggar, if you're going to beg for money, then he picked a really, really good spot because the Bible says that they laid him at the beautiful gate. Now, You have with the the temple there in Jerusalem, you have an outer wall that separates the cordons off the temple. Inside that outer wall is what you have, what is called the court of the Gentiles. That is where the Gentiles were, and we use this word very loosely, the Gentiles were welcomed if the Jews ever really welcomed the Gentiles. But as a Gentile, if you were a convert to Judaism, you were permitted to come to the temple and to remain in the outer court and to worship God there. 
Then there was another wall, and this is known as the middle wall of partition. This was the wall that separated the court of the Gentiles from the women's court. So uh, women were second-class citizens, and the Gentiles were third, fourth, fifth, whatever. Now, there were nine gates in all in the temple. The outer court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, only the men were allowed actually into the temple proper to worship God. Of those nine gates, they were all beautiful gates, every one of them. As a matter of fact, Herod had made the temple in Jerusalem one of the wonders of the, of the world, in, in his own opinion especially. And the, the gates were overlaid with silver. They had gold carvings on them. They were hung in gold. They were beautiful gates. But there was one gate in particular that came to be known as the Gate Beautiful or the beautiful gate. And that was in the very front of the courtyard that led from the court of the Gentiles into the court of the women. It was made of Corinthian bronze. It was actually known throughout the world. This gate was known for its beauty. Ornately decorated. The value of it, though it was made of bronze, the value of it was more than that which was of silver and of gold. And that is the location that this man chooses, or perhaps his family or his friends, whoever carried him there that day. This is the location that is chosen. It's a great location, by the way. If you're ever going to get money from people, this is probably the place that you need to be. If you're a beggar and you're begging for your, for your sustenance, if you're begging for a meal for the day, then this is the place to be because in and out of that gate are going to pass people, pious people, some on their way into the temple seeking to get some brownie points from God. And so, you know, on their way to church that day, they're going to, you know, have a little more compassion and drop a few coins into the cup of a, a lame man. And so there he lays, begging. The Bible says that two men come by his way. Two men pass his way. And these are not just regular guys. These are Peter and John. And he says, alms, alms, alms. And the Bible gives us the narrative. Verse number two, if you would look at it. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, at, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but... And would you make note of these next four words? Such as I have. This morning, I'd like to look at what the Word of God has to say to us concerning Peter's statement. Such as I have. You see, the fact of the matter is this. Every one of us can list an innumerable amount of things of what God has blessed us with. As a matter of fact, if we were to stay here and start writing the list, then we'd be here all day today and then tomorrow and most of the next day, and we wouldn't even come close to being able to write down and to list all of the things that God has given to us. I think it's important for us to every once in a while just remember that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, the Bible says. Every good thing in my life, every good thing in your life has come from the good hand of a good God. Everything. And Peter says to this man, look, I don't have silver and I don't have gold, but 
I do have some things, such as I do have. There are three things that I find in this passage of Scripture that Peter had. If you're in the habit of marking things down or writing them down, I'll give them to you. Number one, a manner of holiness. Verse number four, and Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. The man is asking for money. He's no doubt he's in, in great need. And Peter comes by, and it seems almost prideful, does it not? You're going to help this man. Well, how are you going to help him? Look at me. Is Peter simply trying to uh, direct this man's attention to him because he's prideful? No. Peter understands something. And here's something that we have to understand. That man needed to see Jesus but he was only going to see Jesus through Peter. Peter said, look at us. Now watch, if Jesus had been there that day, there's no doubt that Peter would have said, like John the Baptist before him, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. If Christ in his bodily form would have been there in the temple that day, which by the way, Christ had been in that temple many times, He'd gone there to teach and to preach. He'd healed people in that region. And Jesus had been there, but, but the Son of God was no longer there in his physical form. Had he been, Peter would have directed the, the attention of that lame man to Jesus, but Jesus is not there. And so Peter says, you want to see Jesus? You need to see Jesus. Look at us. Look at my manner of life. Look at who I am, and when you look at me, you will see Jesus. What a convicting thought. Can we say today, as individual people, can we say as a church body to our community, do you wish to see Christ? Look at us. It's only going to happen if we take heed to the Word of God. And there are some things that I find here to be true about Peter's life that make it possible for Peter to say, you want to see Jesus? All right, look at me. Look at this, if you would, please. Verse number four, Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. I said in, this, in the service earlier, uh, I was studying through this passage just recently, and for years and years, I mean, of course, I've known this story, but I saw something, and I don't know how I ever missed it, and it's like you almost, you almost get in a rut in the Bible, you know, you just, sort of, you, you just sort of think you're reading the same thing over and over again, and I don't know where I ever got this idea, but I always read that story as if Peter said, look at me, but Peter didn't say, look at me. He said, look at us. Watch this. Go to verse number one. Now, Peter and John went up, what's the next word, church? Together. Why is that so amazing? It is amazing because of the difference in who these people are. You see, Peter had a brother, Andrew, and, and, and Andrew found his own brother, Simon, first and brought him to Christ. And so you've got Peter and Andrew. And then over here in the Lord's disciples, you've got James and John. But it's not Peter and Andrew and James and John anymore. No, the brotherly thing is gone. And now you have Peter and John. Why? Because they are bound by more than flesh and blood. The cross of Calvary has united them. They're no longer separate they're no longer distinct in their personalities. Oh, Peter is this impetuous person who is just constantly shooting off at the mouth, and John is very contemplative. 
Peter's the one at the, at the Last Supper saying, well, Lord, I'm never going to deny you, and then talking and talking. And what do you see John doing? John is over here, and he's just laying upon the chest of Jesus. John is the disciple whom Jesus loved, and Peter is the disciple who Jesus is always saying, calm down, Peter. Peter takes Jesus and points his attention to John and says, well, what shall this man do? There's almost this rivalry between Peter and John. But you see, the rivalry is gone. May I say something to you? That if this world is ever going to be able to look at us in all honesty, as we say, do you want to see Christ? He is not here in his physical form, but his body is here. Look at us. If that's ever going to happen, then the first thing that they're going to notice about us is a unity, a oneness a love for one another. Gone are the days when Peter and and John are are battling for and jockeying for position. Gone are the days where there's this rivalry. No, now we come together into God's house. And look, we don't agree on everything. The personality of these two could not be any more opposite. By the way, their position was also a problem. Could have been. You see, John is the beloved disciple. John is the one who follows Jesus to the scene of the cross. Peter, of course, we know, denies Christ, and and he leaves. And so John seems to be the disciple in the foreground. But now on the day of Pentecost, God uses Peter to, to preach in a very powerful way, and thousands are saved. And now John is sort of slinking to the background, and Peter is thrust into the fore. John could have said, I'm not going to the temple with him. I want the position. I'm not worshiping God with him today because he has what I want. No, you have one man whose ministry, though his relationship with God has never been stronger, his ministry and and, and influence is diminishing just a little bit, and Peter's ministry is increasing in influence. Let me say something, church. As long as we are bickering and fighting about who has what position, and I want to sing, and I want to do this, and I want to teach that class, and I want, and I want, and I want everything. Look here, the world's never going to look at us and say, we see Jesus. As long as we're fighting and fussing and arguing about things that do not matter in eternity. Look, everyone has their opinion on on issues of the day. Everybody has their opinion. It's been said before, if you have five people in a room and you ask them their opinion, you get five different opinions. Well, there's far more than five in this room, and everybody has their own opinion. Hey, look here. If they're ever going to look at you, if they're ever going to look at me, and, and, and if we say honestly, hey, look at us. Just look at us. If they're ever going to do that and see Jesus, there has to be a unity. By the way, there has to be love. By this, Jesus said, shall all men know that you are my disciples when you have love one for another. You know what I find is really interesting? If you, if you go to like a, like a basketball court or if you go to a soccer field or a football field or whatever, and you walk out there, I want you to imagine that players from both teams are wearing gray uniforms. Matching uniforms. That'd be confusing, wouldn't it? Right? It would be something similar to my wife watching a football game when they don't have matching uniforms. You know. What are they doing again? Why did you do that? How many points is that? You know. Good night. I said, you know, is the cake done yet? Can you? Look. How confusing, watch this, how confusing would it be if you went to a sporting event 
and both teams are wearing the same color uniforms. Do you know why one team wears a different color? Because they want to be identified with that team. And the other team over here, they wear a completely different looking uniform, different color, different pattern, different everything, because they want to distinguish themselves from that team. Hey, let me tell you something. Jesus Christ could have chosen any uniform he wanted for his followers. He could have said, here's the secret password, here's the secret handshake, here's the specific thing that you're supposed to wear. And by the way, there are religions all over the world that identify themselves in some outward way like that. And if Christ would have chosen that, then that would have been fine. But here's what he chose. Watch this. Here is the team uniform for the believer. Love one for another. And when you have love one for another, Jesus says, you're identifying as on my team. And let me tell you something. The world might not like the team you're on. The world might hate the team you're on. But when you have love in your heart one for another, there's no denying what team you're on. Peter and John, these guys who are, are, are so different in their position, they're different in their personality, they come into the temple, the Bible says, together. And when this man who needs something tries to get some money from them, Peter says, hey, we're going to show you Jesus, and here's how we're going to start showing you Jesus. Look at us together. By the way, don't forget this, that the book of Acts begins with Peter but it transitions away from Peter to this guy, Saul of Tarsus, who becomes the Apostle Paul. Let me tell you something. If we're fighting over personality, and we're fighting over position and all that, if we're not loving each other, then there's never going to be a way for you and I to look at this world and say, you need to see Jesus, but you're not going to see him unless you see him through us. Oh, and by the way, see how we love each other? You see how we're getting along? Oh, we disagree on all kinds of stuff. But it's okay, because we agree on the most important thing, and that is that God loves you. Jesus Christ died for your sins. If you'll put your faith in him, he'll forgive you. He'll give you a home in heaven. And by the way, don't you want to come into this place, into this body of believers that just loves each other? He says, look on us. This is the uniform of the believer Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13, Christ says these words, ye are the salt of the earth. Hey, look, if we're ever going to influence the world around us, if we're ever going to season the world around us, then it must be seasoned in love and in acceptance. There was a young man, history remembers him as Samuel Morris. His name was not Samuel Morris. His given name was Prince Kabu. He was a Liberian prince many years ago. His father was the king of his village, and their village was attacked and, and beaten by a neighboring village, and he was taken for ransom. Before the ransom could be paid, he escaped his captors, and he traveled for days through the jungle, and he finally reached the coast city, the capital of Liberia in Moravia. There he lived in the streets for a number of days until a young man found him. This young man was a Christian. He invited him to his church and to his Bible study. There was a young lady there who was a Sunday school teacher. She took very particular interest in him and had the opportunity to lead him to faith in Christ. He was known instantly as an outspoken Christian. He would travel all over the city inviting people to come to church. And one day, a few, a few years later, this Sunday school teacher said to him, I think it would be a good idea if you went over to America and if you were trained in the Bible college that I was trained in. 
He had no money, so he bartered passage on a, on a merchant ship, and they agreed to take him to New York City from Liberia as long as he would work while he was on board the ship. He was treated terribly, honestly, inhumanely. Beatings and was given all the jobs that nobody else wanted to do, very dangerous jobs. The Lord preserved him, and he made it to New York City. When he got to New York City, he actually met Samuel Morris, who gave this young man, Prince Caboo, gave him his English name and helped him to reach this college, Taylor's College, which is modern-day Fort Wayne University in Indiana. As soon as he got there, they felt the influence of his presence. The Spirit of God was on this young man. He loved Jesus, and he was outspoken. The whole campus experienced a revival. He would tell all of his friends about how one day he was going to go back to Liberia. He was going to stand on the shores there, just like Jesus taught on the shores of Galilee, and he was going to preach, and that he was going to see scores of his own countrymen come to faith in Christ. That never happened, though, because he got a common cold. They called it consumption, and he died of it. At his funeral, many college students from that college and many other young people gave their life to the cause of world missions, and God used him even in his death. There's a funny and interesting story that goes along with his life. On the trip from Liberia to New York, he was treated terribly. But on passage, the captain and most of the crew put their faith in Christ. And they said, very simply, we saw Jesus in him. While he was being beaten, while he was being abused, while he was being given all these difficult tasks to do, they said of a little African boy born in a pagan land and pagan religion, came to know Christ by faith, and they said of him, we see Jesus. And they came to faith. Church, let me tell you something. If the world is ever going to see Jesus, they must see him through us. He is not here he is gone, but he has given us the responsibility as the body of Christ. Exemplify me wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever you speak. May they see Christ in me. And by his manner of life, he said, you need Jesus. So look at me. There's a second thing that I see. Not only his manner of, uh, manner of holiness. Look at verse number five. I see also his means to help. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none. Somebody once said, that's how you know he's a Baptist, but that's not true. <laughs> then Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, watch this, give. But such as I have... I'll get, look, I don't, have, I don't have silver and gold, but I can help you. Sir, I know that you want, I know you want money for bread, but I don't have that. But, but watch this. I can help you. Such as I do have, I will give. There's a very interesting connection in the Bible between loving and giving. 
John 3.16 draws a great parallel here. For God so loved the world, watch this, that he gave. The Bible definition of love is not this emotion, butterflies in the stomach, feelings, and all that mess. By the way, Hollywood has ruined it for us when it comes to the idea of love. But that's not Bible love. You see, Bible love is, is an action. There's, there's an action that goes along with it. And the greatest action of love, and the, the, the one that's most closely associated with it, is giving. God loved, therefore he gave. Watch this. God gives to those that he loves. Every person is an object of God's love, and therefore God gives to every man. Peter says this. I don't have necessarily money, but what God has given to me, I will give to you. Church, let me remind you, God never gave us anything simply for us to have it. Ever. God does not open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings upon you and upon me just so we can say, God blessed me. As a matter of fact, the New Testament outlines for us spiritual gifts that the believers have. I ask you, what is your spiritual gift? Are you a believer? What is your gift? What are you doing with it? So one day, uh, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, there's a big crowd here and they're very, very hungry. They haven't eaten in a long time. Should we send them home? Should we send them over to the market? And Jesus said, well, what food do we have here? You know the story. What food do we have here? They said, well, nothing but a little lunch. So I want you to imagine that Christ says, all right, give me the lunch. And he starts taking the bread and the fish, and he starts breaking it and giving it to them, and breaking it and giving it to them, and breaking it and giving it to them. And in line, you know, they all come up, and they get their food. And Thomas, or, or one of the guys, you know, shows up, and, and Christ hands him a bunch of food, and, and he takes it, and he sort of just walks away, and he meanders around a little bit. And, and a few minutes later, he comes back, and Jesus is busy breaking and handing and breaking and handing. He hands him some more, and he just sort of, yeah. okay, got fish, I got bread. He comes back a third time, and Jesus says, Thomas, what are you doing? Well, I don't know, Lord. I got, I got this fish. I got this bread. I'll... Go hand it out, son. Go give it to somebody. Watch. You know what we say? We say that's utterly ridiculous. Yes, it is no more ridiculous that I stand with blessings piled at my feet. All that God has given to me, and I don't give. It would be no more ridiculous that Thomas hold food in his hands while people, people hungered around him as it is when I say, well, Lord, thank you for all that you've given to me, but I don't know what to do with it all. Oh, no, he gives. Watch this. He gives so that I can in turn be a blessing and give it to other people. Hold your place here in the book of Acts. Turn to 2 Corinthians very quickly, please. Let me show you something that it just, it just fascinates me. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse number three. Paul writes, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and, watch this, the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Hey, isn't it an awesome blessing to know that in a time of trial and in a time of need and in a, in, a, in a time when my heart is aching, I have a God that I can go to, I can speak to him, I can get in his word, and through the influence of his word and by his spirit, God can literally comfort my troubled heart. But guess what? He doesn't even comfort me just to have comfort. 
He says, I've comforted your heart. Now go find someone with an uncomfortable heart and help them out. Take the comfort. Take the, the, the work of the Spirit of God. Hey, by the way, is this pattern given to us anywhere else in Scripture? Yeah, all through Scripture. I repeat to you again, God has never given me anything just so I could have it. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, the things that thou hast heard of, among me, of me among many witnesses, take those things, commit them to faithful men who should be able to teach others also. Watch, Paul said, hey, I got Bible truth. I possess Bible truth. And you know what I did, Timothy? I passed that Bible truth along to you. And Timothy, here's the design. You take that Bible truth and pass it along to faithful men. Don't just hold on to it, Timothy. God gave it to you, but he gave it to you to pass along. So now the faithful men have it. And so what? now, Timothy, here's your job. Teach those faithful men to teach others also. And they taught, and then they taught, and then they taught, and then they taught, so we can sit right here at Tabernacle Baptist Church in 2021, and we have Bible truth. You know why? Because God gave people truth for them to pass it along. He's given us truth to pass it on. You know what I'm afraid of? In this church age, if a book was written, it wouldn't be the book of Acts. It'd be the book of Facts. Because we know, we know, we know, we have, but we don't give it out. There's no action of going out into my community. There's no action of, of finding that person in my family or the person that I work with and saying, look, God has given me so much. I have the means to help you. He's shown me the way of salvation. He has comforted my heart. I was with a pastor years ago. We were walking through a hospital. There was a man standing there outside of a room. And I have no idea what was happening inside that room, but it was not good. The man stood there in tears. This pastor just stopped. He introduced himself. He said, can I pray for you? Can I tell you something? It was a little awkward for me. I thought, he's a complete stranger. The guy's obviously distraught. He's obviously upset. Not the time. Through his tears, I was amazed. The man said, would you please pray for me? Do you know what the world needs? It needs a church filled with people who have had the blessings of God literally poured out to stop holding on to it and to say, yeah, I'll give. He didn't give it to me to hold on to. He gave it to me to pass it along. And he says to him, such as I have. Look at it, verse number six. Such as I have, give I thee. I notice a third thing in this passage, and that is the message of hope. Look, now it comes full circle. He says, sir, you're, you're in need. By the way, the guy knew that. You need something. Now watch this. The man thought he knew what he needed, but Peter actually knew what he did need. Can I tell you that this man, in many ways, is a representation of all of humanity. Lame. Unable to help himself. Hopeless. 
I like to put myself in people's positions when I'm reading the scriptures. I like to put myself in their position. Uh, by the way, someone taught me many years ago, when you're reading the Bible, pull yourself up beside the Bible writer. Put yourself in his time. Put yourself in his situation. Understand what's being said. For a few moments this morning, I want you to put yourself in the place of the lame man, would you? Lame from your mother's womb. You've never known anything other than lame legs. Every day of your life, you've been carried around. The morning that you meet Peter and John, you didn't even walk there. Somebody had to carry you to those steps. There's no doubt that there was times in this man's life when he dreamed and hoped for a miraculous outcome. No doubt he, he sat there at the beautiful gate and he's thinking, you know what? There's lots of people coming through here and some of these people are extremely wealthy. What, what, what would it be like if, if someone walked by, a very wealthy, affluent uh, you know, citizen there in Jerusalem? What if somebody walked by me and, and in that moment they had compassion and they said, hey, hey, servant, come on over here. Write this guy a check for $10,000. I just really feel bad for him. In the slow times, you know, he's sitting there and, and all these thoughts are filling his head. And perhaps one day he says, you know, I, I wonder what it would be like if a doctor came in here to the temple. And that doctor said, hey, you know, I've got this new crazy experimental thing I'm trying and it's, it's helped other lame people before. Hey, don't miss this. He knew who Jesus was. He'd heard of him. 3,000 people don't get saved at Pentecost without, without you knowing who this guy Jesus is. As a matter of fact, think about the story of the, two, of the two people walking on the road to Emmaus, and Christ shows up, and he says, hey, what's going on? And he pretends like he doesn't know what's happening. And what's the response of those two guys? They said, have you been living under a rock? Have you, where have you been? Like, how have you been in this region and you don't know? You know why? Because everybody knew. Even lame men laying at the beautiful gate knew. So he has, he's been exposed uh, to, to who Jesus is. There's no doubt about that. He, he's heard this, this name before. And perhaps he's thinking to himself, I wonder if Jesus is going to walk by today. I've heard he healed that guy over there. I, I heard he raised a dead person. And he sits with his hopes and he sits with his dreams, but they're long gone. And now, his hopes go only so high as to imagine that maybe somebody's going to walk by my cup and toss a little penny or a nickel or a dime in there, and at the end of the day, I can have someone carry me over and I'll buy a crust of bread or I'll buy some old expired fruit that nobody else wants and I'll be able to feed myself just so I can survive and live until tomorrow and I'll come back here and do the same thing. That's the state of humanity. That's where they are. Your neighbors without Christ, our co-workers without Christ, our family members. This is where they are. They're hopeless. It's just one more thing to get me through to the next thing, and it's one meaningless endeavor followed by the next. And so Peter and John happened by this man, no, they didn't happen by him. God sent them there. And he said, you need Jesus. Look at me. See him in me. I can help you. And then it comes full circle. And he says, 
in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Oh, it's not me. I don't have the answer. Look, I just reflect the answer. I, I can't solve your problems. I just act like the one who can. Why do I act like the one who can't? Because I want everybody to know that he's changed my life and therefore he can change yours. And so Peter says, let me bring it full circle to you. I don't have any money. By the way, the Bible says that he looked at them expecting to receive something from them. When he looks at them, he expects to get something. And then Peter, Peter just, just dashes all of his hopes. He says to him, I don't have silver or gold. I don't have any money. Hey, think about this. Think about all of the pious and self-righteous Pharisees and Sadducees that had walked past this man for days and weeks on end. Uh, think about, you know, the Bible says that when, they, when they, they gave their offering, that they would sound a trumpet and they would, they would get everyone's attention so everybody knew how, how righteous they were. Hey, this man, this is nothing new to him. This isn't the first time this has happened. Some well-dressed Pharisee or well-dressed Sadducee would walk by him, and he would, he would notice that there's a lot of people around, and so he'd say, Ahem, uh, lame man, lame man, yes, give me your attention, sir. Yes, yes, look right here, please. Notice I'm, I'm giving him some money, everybody. And it sickened him, the hypocrisy, and it sickened him, the pride, but you know what? At least he's giving me money, so whatever. So now come these two fishermen, by the way, not dressed in good clothes. And he stops, and he says, look at me, look at us. And perhaps he's thinking, well, I've seen this play out before. <laughs> All right, do your thing, play your song, do your dance, just put some money in the cup, man. And then he says, I don't have any money. Move on. <laughs> Next in line, please, right? Silver and gold have I none. By the way, in all of the New Testament, every time silver and gold are mentioned together, it is always gold first and silver second. I don't know why this, this is interesting to me, but it is. Gold is always mentioned first and silver is always mentioned second, except for twice. The first is when Peter says to this man, silver and gold have I none. The second time is when Peter, again, Peter speaking both times, Peter says that you are not bought with corruptible things as silver and gold. Peter knows I can put money in your cup, but you're still going to die and go to hell. But I've got something better than money. I've got Jesus. See him through me. See him in my life. See him in my actions. See him in the words that I speak. And then in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, would you rise up and walk? And by the way, he does not just tell the man, rise up and walk. The Bible says that he takes him by the right hand and he lifts him up. Let me tell you what Hickory needs. Hickory needs the Tabernacle Baptist Church as a, as a body of believers. Hickory needs you as an individual to go out into the community and stop just talking about things, but literally reach down with the hand and pull them to Jesus. People in this church are hurting. You know what we need? We need fellow believers to come alongside and to take us by the hand and to lift us up into heavenly places and say, look, I've been where you are and God met my need and he'll meet yours. Someone to pray with, someone to cry with, someone to laugh with. Peter says, I've got a message of hope for you. Jesus of Nazareth, look at it, please. Verse number six, 
Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Look at verse number 16. Peter makes a great distinction here. He says, And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong. You see, it was not just, it was not just faith from Peter. It wasn't just the speaking of the name of Jesus. No, this man put his faith in Christ. This man believed on Jesus. Oh, he'd heard about Jesus. He'd heard good things. He'd heard bad things. People are walking in and out of the temple all, all day long. Some of the religious leaders are walking in and out, and he hears this name of, of Jesus, and people are talking about how, you know, he died on the cross, and we finally we put him to death. Oh, he was a troublemaker, and we finally got rid of him. And, oh, yeah, his followers, they came and took his body, and they're, they're talking about how he's resurrected. And then there's other people. Watch this. There's other people, and they're coming into the temple too. And they came in one day, and they looked one way, and then they came in the next. Watch this. They look different. They talk different. And they weren't, they weren't talking about this troublemaker Jesus anymore. No, now they're talking about this Jesus, the Son of God, who lovingly died on the cross for my sins, and he gave himself for me. And this man is hearing. And by the way, his, his mind isn't quite made up yet. He doesn't really, what does he need? He needs Jesus in physical form to come by and to confirm in his mind who Christ really is. And Peter and John show up and they say in so many words, I know you've heard about Jesus. Put your faith in him. In his name, rise up and walk. And he did. Here's the question. Can I say, can we as a Tabernacle Baptist Church say, with Peter and John, to this world, you need Jesus. You need a vision of Jesus. You need to see who he really is. You need to see him as the resurrected son of the, of the almighty living God. You need to see him as the savior of the world. And let me tell you how you can see him. Just look at us. Just look at how we act. Just look at how we love each other. Oh, the grace that we've been given? Oh, we're going we're to extend that to you too. In the name of Jesus, would you rise up and walk? Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.